You're listening to Flaunt, Find Your Sparkle and Create a Life You Love After Infidelity or Betrayal. Have you been betrayed by life, your body, or someone that you love? You're not alone. No matter what you've been through, Naked Self-Worth helps you regain confidence, joy, and enthusiasm so you can create a life you love and flourish. Tune in weekly and learn how. Hello and welcome to Flaunt. Find your sparkle and create a life you love after infidelity or betrayal. I'm Laura Cheadle, and today we're going to talk about learning to love. And by that, I mean learning to love in a healthy way, about learning how to heal the disappointment that you might have gone through after experiencing infidelity or betrayal. My guest is Dr. Thomas Jordan, and he is a clinical psychologist and psychoanalyst in private practice in New York City. He's on the faculty of NYU's postdoctoral program in psychoanalysis, and he is the author of Learn to Love, A Guide to Healing Your Disappointing Love Life, and the founder of lovelifelearningcenter.com. He specializes in the treatment of unhealthy love lives and has been studying them for over 30 years. And I'm really looking forward to this interview because it's my guess that like me, so many of you have had these big hopes and these big dreams that were crushed. And then you just wonder, how do I recover and what is healthy? So with that, Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you, Laura. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, you're welcome. So let's kind of start from the beginning here. What is healthy love? Because I think so many people are not even sure what that means. Healthy love. Um, uh, It's a mutual experience. It's based on an intimate relationship. And um, the good news is, that if you've learned something unhealthy in the course of your life about love relationships, it is possible to become aware of what you've learned, unlearn what's unhealthy, and learn something better, uh, something that uh, promotes uh, finding and sustaining a healthy love relationship. I love that that focus on unlearning, because in my experience going through infidelity, I know that it harkened back to so many different past relationships and ideas and unhealthy beliefs that I had. And I'd love to learn more about your unlearning process. Yeah. Um, In my book, I talk about uh, 10, now there's 12, unhealthy relationship experiences that we can be exposed to in the course of our lives that teach us Uh, unhealthy lessons about love relationships. And uh, my belief and what I found in my work with people, as well as in my personal work, is that these experiences are kept in what I like to call the psychological love life, the part of our minds that contains the experiences that have taught us lessons about love relationships, healthy or unhealthy, and what we've learned from those experiences. I find that Oftentimes, people are exposed to dishonesty growing up. Uh, They witness it in the parental relationship, for example. One parent cheats on another, 
And unfortunately, sometimes exposure to this environment becomes familiar, which is an interesting word because the root of the word is family. Familiar, right? Um, and uh, it, is an, it is possible, unfortunately, to have those experiences teach a person that dishonesty is okay in a love life, or it's expected in a love life, or you know, it's almost like an imprinting of some kind. If, you know, this is what I was exposed to and you gravitate towards what you're familiar with. And I've seen this happen so often. It became a reason why I wrote the book is because oftentimes these unhealthy relationship experiences we get exposed to end up being replicated. And that's an important word, replicated in our adult love lives. Um, I'll give you an example. I remember sitting with a woman many years ago, and I, I really remember this conversation we had because it illustrates the point very strongly. Um, she was telling me in an initial interview about growing up in a home with an alcoholic father who was violent and was physically abusive to her mom. And she and her siblings witnessed this abuse, and she married two men who were alcoholic and violent. And the third man, boyfriend, was in the process of becoming abusive. He was verbally and emotionally abusive and threatening and such. And I said to her in a moment of understanding, sitting with her, I said, do you think there's a relationship between the home you grow up in and the marriages you've had? And she looked at, this is an intelligent, educated person. And I've seen this look many times. What? Like <laughs> the connection wasn't there. Yeah. And that's a big problem because without consciousness, we can replicate these experiences over and over and over. And I have to tell you, for the past 30 years, that's been a big part of my clinical research is seeing this repetition and replication take place over and over again. Now, again, the good news is once you become conscious of the replication, now you can use one of the greatest assets in human nature, consciousness. Being able to identify something, look it right in the face and say, uh-oh, I've learned something about love relationships that's unhealthy and being replicated in my adult love life. Yeah, I love that. And I'm just going to pop in with this story because I think it really illustrates your point well. When I looked back and same thing, did my own review of what is it in me? Like, I know I didn't cause my partner's infidelity, but what mm -hmm. is it in me that attracted that, allowed that? What part did I play? Although I had a very healthy relationship, a very healthy home life growing up, one thing that I realized is in an effort to not disappoint me, my parents would often say things like, Oh, we'll totally try. I'm sure I can make that work. In their mind, they were thinking that they would be very positive and supportive, but really they had no intention of doing it. You know, like, oh. can we go to the movies this weekend? Oh, I'm sure we can make that work. Instead of being very honest and saying, no, it won't work this weekend. I and see. it's a small, it's not that it replicates, you know, alcoholic home, alcoholic home, but it's that energy of, dishonesty. It's that yes. energy of untruth. And uh -huh. I just wanted to share that story for listeners who might be thinking, well, my parents didn't cheat on each other. It doesn't have to be apples to apples. Right. 
it's still that absolutely absolutely and and what you're illustrating is that the theme is dishonesty the actual form it takes is different and varied and you're pointing that out very clearly uh dishonesty can be in a subtle form as you're describing and so you know what's very interesting is that people often say well, well take your example there's no cheating in in my par- parental relationship or other relationships when i was young but when people really focus on what happened when they were learning about love relationships growing up which by the way the family of origin is the most intensive classroom we will ever be in but you know what the problem is and i love this phrase and it has been a a source of much contemplation we learn unconsciously oftentimes we think of learning as you know classroom blackboard teacher grammar school high school whatever uh no we can learn and not know what we're learning and not even know that we're learning and that happens in childhood many different ways it can happen by observation we can observe what's going on in our environment, in the relationships and such. It can happen in a relationship with someone in the family, how we're treated, how we're responded to, expectations placed on us. It can even happen, and it's a little a little less common, by instruction. You know, an elder in the family saying, well, when you grow up and uh, I remember my father, you know, on a Sunday morning, Waffle Sunday, me and my brothers back in the 60s, you know, um, my mother's serving the waffles, my father's making them. And my father said, turns to my mother and then turns to us and said, I hope you guys find a woman like your mom when you're old enough to get married. That's education. That's yeah. a lesson in love life issues and such, you know, so. These are things that are so easy to absorb. And because they're unconscious, that's where the problem lies. When we don't know what the learning is, it is so, so easy to replicate it. Right, right. And you're absolutely right. Consciousness is that first step, becoming aware. And then what happens after that? Because I know a lot of people, they're like, I get it, but I can't quite break the cycle. I don't quite know what to do. I know it's a problem, but I don't know what to do. So what's uh-huh. the next step in that? Yeah, in in I, I call it the unlearning method in my book. And it's basically three steps. The first step we've talked about is a consciousness and identifying what these experiences are that taught these, uh, these unhealthy lessons in our love lives. And the second step is to challenge them. Now, another interesting quality of human nature, so to speak, is that we can have competing interests, motivations at the same time. For example, uh, I learned something unhealthy. I've done it so many times. It's a habit. But I realize at some point in my life that it's unhealthy. So now in my mind, I have a healthy opposite or healthy alternative and I have the original habit. So I'm in conflict a little bit at this point between what I've learned and what I know needs to change. So this conflict is therapeutic as well as problematic. Therapeutic meaning something new needs to be strengthened so that it can take over what has been taught 
or what has become habit. So the ability, and I chose the word challenge because it's kind of like talking to oneself. You know, we have a relationship with ourselves. Oftentimes the word relationship, people think of interpersonal, fine. But there's a relationship you have with you, how you treat yourself. It's in the language. I was beside myself yesterday. I mean, <laughs> you know, so we can treat ourselves we can supervise ourselves. We can look after ourselves. We can be in a situation like a patient would say to me, you know, I was at a place yesterday meeting some people. I'm a middle-aged person. I'm single now. I'm out of a divorce. I'm looking for another relationship. I'm ready to have one. A person came up to me, started a conversation, but I knew I was attracted to him, but he's the same kind of guy that I married. Yeah. So I know. So look at that conflict. I'm attracted to him, but he's the same kind of guy that I married. So now you have an opportunity to say to yourself, no, let's uh, let's end this conversation and move on, because this is not the person that would be good for me to enter into a relationship with. So now you have a supervising part of yourself that knows what you've learned is unhealthy. So you're going to be looking out for yourself. You're going to be challenging that automatic unconscious learning when it pops up every once in a while. So now you're kind of developing your muscles. Sometimes I use the metaphor with my patients. You need to go to Jordan's gym, you know, like to make that muscle, that ability to look at yourself and say, uh-oh, you're doing the same thing you did before and you need to change that. So that's a very, very important skill ability that can be strengthened through practice. And I call it applied awareness. You're applying consciousness. It's not just sit back and become aware of yourself. Now you're going to use it. You're going to use it to challenge that automatic learning that you've acquired. Uh, step three complements the process, and that is in, 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 in putting into effect a corrective. Mm. And I like the word opposite. Uh, the opposite of abandonment, commitment. The opposite of neglect, yes. Devotion, the opposite of abuse, respect. These lists of opposites that go with these unhealthy relationship experiences open up a healthy, alternate behavior, belief, feeling, experience that moves our love life in a better direction. So not only is the person practicing challenging the unhealthy learning when it shows up, uh-oh, I'm being attracted to other men who are dishonest or potentially BSing, right. not, not being themselves, not really available for a love relationship, yet they're putting on a persona or representing themselves in a certain way. Um, um, so not only am I doing that, but I'm also aware of where I need to move my love life, a new direction. Um, which, by the way, sometimes is a little uncomfortable. Absolutely. For example, if you grow up, I've had people who grown up with abandonment. One of the parents left home when they were young, when they were still in need of that parent. And now they they struggle with that, you know, grew up with a single mom, for example. You know, now they're a middle-aged woman, for example, and they're talking about love life issues or wanting to 
be in a better relationship. Maybe they found two men or three men or one man who was replicating that abandonment, men who are not emotionally available, for example. Right. Um, and now they need to make a correction. So the correction would be to uh, interfere, disrupt themselves if they stop moving towards that attractive guy who's BSing and not really available for a real relationship. And the correction would be to do what's unfamiliar, find the man who's available. Now, I've had people tell me, you know, I understand what you're talking about, doctor, but that scares me. It scares me. What scares you? Uh, an available man. What do I do with an available man? I'm so used to unavailable man. My father was unavailable. My uncle was unavailable, whatever. The men in my family were unavailable. What do I do with an available man? It's a wonderful question to ask. Yeah. Because it means that you've, you're with a person at the moment where growth can take place, where something new can happen. And a person can say, okay, let me in, let me enter into an understanding with myself, with a person who's caring about me, to talk about how I can cope with availability, how I can understand why it scares me, how I can identify it, see its positives, learn how to work with it. Learning can take place at any time in a person's life, all the way to the end of life. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So many people that I work with will say things like, you know, he took the best years of my life and my life is over and I'm too old. So I love that you just said that because no, you're not. You can find love at any time. Anytime. Right. Yeah. Unfortunately, though, there's a phenomena called resignation. And I talk about it in my book. When when you have a uh, disappointing love life. There's repetition and replication, what we're talking about. If there's too much repetition, for example, it's common for a person to get to the point, and it could happen after one or two disappointments, could happen after 10, where they say, oh, resignation, I'm done with love. Love's too painful. I predict it'll always be hurtful. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's tragic. That's tragic. Because what it implies is I can't do anything about love. I can't do anything. I can't work on my love life. Yes, you can. This is why I'm sitting here doing this podcast. I've done many podcasts in the past several years because working on your love life, or more specifically, your psychological love life, is right. what I'm interested in getting out that message that people can work on their love lives like any other part of their lives. We work on our work life, our educational life, our medical life, exercise life, on and on. Love life is something that we have to work on. Think about if it's producing disappointing relationships over and over and over again, that repetition is a clue that we've learned something unhealthy that's in control of your love life. doesn't have to stay that way. Mm -hmm. I also very much appreciate how you talk about working on it. It's not that Prince Charming comes riding in and you get the relationship. Uh -huh. The relationship is a process, like you said, both with yourself and with another person. Uh -huh. And identify, I love the word challenge too, and then take that corrective action, then you do grow. It's not Absolutely. that a relationship yeah, is perfect and the one. 
any right, relationship. Right, 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 right. You know, um, I wrote this book for two reasons. One was, as we're t- discussing, what I've seen clinically sitting with people over time who've presented in my office with unhealthy relationship issues. But I also changed my own love life. And in the book, in chapter five, you know, I was agonizing over, I'm going to get release of information from a bunch of patients to get case studies. No, let me use myself as a case study, right? right? Because I changed my own love life, which became part of this, this book. I, I, between the ages of seven, 17 and say 32, 33, I had a disappointing love life, multiple relationships one after another with women that I became disappointed in and they became disappointed in me. They ended badly until I got into a a therapist's office who pointed out to me, you seem to be using your mother's blueprint. He said to me, like, wait a minute, what does that mean? That was a shock to me, like mother's blueprint. My mother struggled with dependency, control, and self-centeredness in her life, unfortunately. And she never overcame these three characteristics, but she uh, uh, developed an experience with her children where uh, these experiences taught me that eligible women were dependent, controlling, and self-centered. So the scary part, though, Laura, is when... If I found someone who had those characteristics, okay, there was a matchup. But the scary part is sometimes I even imagined they were there even when they weren't. Oh, I so love that you said that. Yes, yes. <laughs> you know, yes. Oh, that's scary. That's scary. That's that's how that's an illustration of how powerful they were in control of my love life. So when my analyst pointed out to me that. Uh, my mother's blueprint was in the mix and and I love my mother you know we we love our parents but they don't teach us the right things all the time not everything they teach is healthy you know we have to be able when we're adults to sift through it and keep what's healthy be able to challenge what's not healthy etc so uh, what I did is I realized that I had to kind of take a little break from dating um, I didn't have any sisters, so it's so interesting. I And I'm not sure if I was 100% conscious of this, but I developed female friendships. One in particular was my best buddy during that period, almost as if I, I wanted a sister friendship. And I learned in that relationship that healthy women can be independent, not controlling, and mutual or intimate. So that experience for a few years and hanging out with her and talking about stuff and and being together as friends um, taught me this valuable lesson. It's so interesting. When that relationship started fading away, my wife showed up. My wife is an independent, not controlling, not self-centered woman. We got married. I've been married for 29 years, 28 going on 29 years. So I looked at that and said, if I can do this, other people can do this. This is not something that is over-specialized or impossible to do. These experiences can be looked at and you you mess with them. You don't accept them in their original form. You challenge them, disrupt them so something new can be learned. Yeah. So important. Okay. 
about half of the people listening to this podcast have stayed with their intimate partner after infidelity. Um, and I'm one of them. And then mm -hmm. about half the people have switched and moved to a new partner. So here is my question with that in mind. So you can address both audiences. When we look at somebody and we see what we expect to see, what's not really there. Do you have any tools or tips on how to disrupt that on how to clear our own vision? Because some of the women that I work with, they'll say, my husband is doing everything. We are working together. He is making amends. We're in therapy. We're changing. But I still see behaviors and I still get afraid that he might be cheating or I still be afraid that he might be texting somebody. And it's hard to see the relationship sometime with fresh eyes. Okay. Uh, uh, I believe what you're talking about is the residuals of hurt. Hurt causes, unfortunately, leftovers, after effects. Now, hurt can be healed, especially when you're honest with yourself. Sometimes a little counseling might help. Mm -hmm. uh, journaling, uh, being honest with oneself, identifying the problem clearly, you know, not trying to hide it or deny it, but realize and being able to communicate to one's partner about it, too. I would say not easy to do, but very powerful, very important. Mm -hmm. uh, and if your husband loves you, if your husband understands you, he's going to respect that communication. And it could doesn't have to be wife to husband. It can be husband to wife. Gender doesn't matter with this kind of issue at no. all. But no. <clears throat> uh, you're talking about residuals to hurt. hurt. Hurt is the kind of thing that can be collected. It can be kept. It can be held on to. Um, sometimes, uh, you know, people often say, you know, I'll forgive him, but I won't forget it. Uh, wait a minute. What are you saying? You're giving him half forgiveness, but not real forgiveness. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. Maybe you shouldn't forget it. Maybe you should know if it happens again, you'll know right away it's happening. But, you know, there's, there's the bottom line is there's reservation, defensiveness, because we don't want to be hurt again. Right. That's the problem that you're talking about. So tools, when you say tools, I like that word. I oftentimes think of that word. That's what consciousness in my book talks about. Tools. The unlearning method are tools. Consciousness applied. What kind of tools? I like communication in a love relationship. I'm a big, I'm a big talk guy. Talk. When you love somebody and they love you, talk. And not just about the good stuff. Talk about things that bother. Talk about things uncomfortable. Talk about stuff you got in your mind. Because how your partner relates to that is an act of love, for example. You know, if, if my wife comes up to me and says something's bothering me, and I give her time, I invest listening, I pay attention, I take it seriously, that's an act of love. Listening to our partners is an act of love. That's one way to express love. You know, roses are great. Listening's even better. Right. Let right. me give you 20 minutes of no argument, no interference, no interruption. That's an act of love, pure and simple. And when you're in a love relationship, that is an extremely powerful tool. Now, on the, the person who's hurt, 
on his or her side, being honest with oneself that you're still hurt is very important. Now, people can can do all kinds of stuff with that. They can rationalize it away. They can deny it. They can lie about it. They can hide it. They can do all kinds of stuff. It's the ability to acknowledge something that we're having a difficulty with. When you've been cheated on and you're courageous enough to be in that relationship, stay there, ask for change, make change, work with your partner, there's going to be residual hurts that need to be paid attention to. Um, so the honesty with oneself, the ability to communicate and receive that listening and work together with one's partner are all tools that are going to be necessary in the process of healing that hurt and moving on. And I think my experience with helping couples over the years uh, reformulate their relationship in order to uh, deal with this hurt that's taking place is that uh, working on the relationship, you're fundamentally creating a new relationship, I believe. Oh, yeah. And that's basically a necessity in this yes. process. Yeah, it is. And I'm a huge fan of that term applied awareness because infidelity is a huge, there's a huge learning that happens after that. You learn the mm -hmm. truth. You know, you mm -hmm. learn everything that happened. You learn about yourself. You learn about other people. You learn about all the things that weren't done right or well in the relationship before. But unless you're going to take that knowledge and apply it to move forward, why bother? Right. right. <laughs> and I want to I want to also, if I can, based on my own clinical experiences over the years, I want to talk a little bit about the man who cheats on his wife. Please do. If I, I think, can. Yeah, I think <laughs> oh, that. Uh oh, somebody's calling me out. No. <laughs> All right. Um, I've worked with men who've cheated on their wives and don't leave when they get discovered. That's the man I'm talking about. Not the man who gets discovered and goes, whoops, and out of the relationship because yeah. he was trying to have a triangle. Right. Tri triangles are, you know, people who stay in a marriage as long as there's another partner. And triangles are fundamentally unhealthy. And when they're discovered and the husband or wife leaves, that's another person. That's that's another type of person. Okay. Right. Um, I'm talking about the person that stays. The person that stays um, has to understand why the cheating took place. Yes. The, 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 the how is important. The wife needs to know. You're going to have trouble being honest, of course. It's going to be painful being honest because your wife's going to look at you. You know there's hurt involved. You have your your trial by fire is to be as honest of about the how as you can humanly be in that process of healing. Okay. The why is also important. Can be a little elusive. Why? Because sometimes it's hard to acknowledge one's own issue. I believe there's an intimacy problem when a man cheats on his wife but wants to keep his wife. What does that mean? Um, if I'm having a problem with my wife and I solve it by being with another woman, I am not solving anything. All I'm doing is run away from myself, run away from the intimacy issue. I may think I'm doing something freeing or 
something better, but it's not. What it is, is a poor, sometimes immature way of handling an intimacy issue. Intimacy issues require the hard work of telling somebody you don't like what's happening in the relationship. Now, right or wrong, you have a right to say that. Going and being with another person does not address that issue, does not grow anybody, does not progress the relationship. So if you want to keep your wife or husband, you really have to do the work of handling the intimacy. You know, let me say it this way. You know, I've learned in my research on love life issues over the years that, you know, love is a wonderful uh, unpredictable, uncontrollable emotion, which we do not control. It happens to us. Um, hopefully, maybe it'll happen more than once and in different ways. But the point is, it's really a mysterious emotion. It's one of those emotions that we can't control, and I hope we never control it, right? right. But the type of relationship we set up when we fall in love, and that phrase is so instructive, fall in love. Uh I don't make myself love. I don't be, I don't, I don't make it happen. I'm trying to use words that illustrate the ridiculousness of trying to control it. Uh, I'm going to make myself love you. you know, it, no, you fall in love. I'm interested. What I'm about is the relationships we form conscious or unconscious when we fall in love. Yeah. So, the intimate relationship, I'm going to call it the intimate relationship, the opposite of those list of unhealthy relationship experiences I list in my book, those qualities make up the intimate relationship. That is the most nurturing, most healing relationship that protects and takes care of the love you've fallen into. So when the intimate relationship is problematic, it's time to work on that. So if you're having a problem with your wife such that you're getting angry, you're getting resentful, you're getting frustrated, you're feeling like your needs are not being taken care of, et cetera, et cetera, it is not the time to find someone else because the finding of someone else is not going to cure the problem. Your attachment is to your wife, not to that person. So the problem remains unsolved. All you're doing is running away. So I encourage this type of man to develop the courage required to sit with the woman he loves and say, I am angry at you. I am hurt by you. I feel like you don't care about me. So that the process of healing and working on the relationship can begin. Yeah. And and I, I, I just want to even take that one step deeper because so many of the people that I work with where their partner has cheated, you're right. There was an intimacy issue. There was dissatisfaction on both sides. But I swear to you, 90% of the men can't even identify what the problem is. They feel something, but they can't get the words around what the emotion is that they're feeling. They don't know if they're disappointed. They don't know. They can't identify it. Yes. And that's been so much of the work that people go through in a fair recovery with the cheating man is getting the cheating man to understand what were you feeling? 
What do you need? And to have the words around that, that's such a difficult thing for so many men. Yes. Um, Women are a little bit ahead of men in the talk about feelings department. Right. But my hope is that men will catch up. That's important. Uh, I can't tell you how many men I've had over the years who sit in my office with a feeling they can't find words to describe. And I look at that as an indication that learning is necessary. Middle age is a wonderful time to do this learning. Okay, you've been a man, you've been taught how to be aggressive, you've been taught how to take the initiative, you were taught how to be active, you've been taught how to take care of people, be a man, be a man, be a man. Okay, but now as a husband, as a father, you have to talk about feelings, emotions, experiences, because when you do that, you fill out your personality. You don't lose your masculinity you expand upon it. You make it stronger. Because when a man can be sensitive, when a man can describe his emotions, his experience, his feelings accurately, he is more present. He is more capable, more intimate, more loving. And these are experiences that, unfortunately, men sometimes have to learn in middle life. Now, some people say, oh, oh my God. No, if you're not learning throughout your entire life, something's wrong. Now, that's, I think right now, and I, I mean, one of the good things that's happened in recent years is that psychotherapy, counseling, uh, you know, mentoring, whatever you want to call it, has become popular as the stigma is starting to decrease. People mm-hmm. are finding different ways of being in therapy and counseling and so on, because now I'm hoping it becomes just as available to men as it's been to women. And 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 that's, you know, you know what the corollary to that now that I'm going into the corollary to that for women is if I were, if you were to say, to me, OK, you just told me what your objective is with men. What do you have with women? I think women in recent years, and I'm maybe that's 30 years, 40 years, have had to learn how to be independent, take the initiative, be equal, be out there, that the old rules that protected women to the point of dysfunction are now being moved aside so that women, gender is not going to be an issue. People have the chance to grow. This what it doesn't matter whether it's woman, man, whomever, just grow so that women, you encourage the initiative, you encourage the individuality, you encourage the I'm going to use this word because I love it. I wrote a book about this in 1999. Individuation. Individuation is the process of discovering your individuality and giving it a place in your communications, in your life, in your lifestyle, who you are. And uh, that's, I think, women have been working in that direction consistently in recent decades, which is good. So my idea is, Look how much intimacy you have. Men learn how to talk about their feelings. Women learn how to be independent and present. Intimacy. Yes. (laughs) Yes. 
I love it. And I'm it's, having too much fun, Laura. <laughs> I know, it's good. It is fun. I mean, uh, I, I find it fun too. It's a fun process. And uh, okay, was going through infidelity for me horrible? Yes, it was the worst thing that ever happened in my life. But the gifts that have come from that, the understanding uh, that has come from that, the relationship now that I have with my husband is better than I ever thought. And it's the same thing with the people that I work with they're better people because of it. I mean, not everybody. Some people can choose to crumble and fall and can choose not to learn. But the potential to learn, the potential uh -huh. to grow and understand and heal those wounds is huge. And it's thrilling. Yes, it is. Yeah. you And you, you're, you're talking about a wonderful, another wonderful principle about human nature. You know, sometimes the greatest lessons we learn often occur as a consequence of hardship. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely right. And it is our choice. I mean, we can choose to learn fr from it, or we can choose to curl up and to not apply what we've learned. Because that is something that I do see people, they'll have the knowledge up here in their head, but it doesn't come out their heart. It doesn't come out in their actions mm -hmm. and they continue to replicate, replicate, replicate. Yeah. 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 Big, big problem. Big problem. Yeah. It really. Yeah. Is. I, uh, I, in recent years, I've been putting together a, uh, uh, PowerPoint presentation because I'm interested in teaching what this book is trying to teach with images. Cause sometimes oh. images are very powerful in being able to do that. And I've been I've been looking for images that illustrate the sequence of ideas that we've been talking about, and it's fascinating, you know, how images can. Uh, I, I guess for a percentage of the population, images are a learning tool. You know, uh, some people learn a lot by reading. Some people learn a lot by imagery. You know, and so it's an interesting variation in how people learn. So I'm curious about how that's going to go going forward. I like that. I, I think it's going to go well because I know, you know, my background is I'm an attorney. And as an attorney, I am very oriented to definitions. What does mm. the statute say? What does the law say? You know, you have to have that common definition in order to move forward. And I do feel like when we're learning things, sometimes I will have a different definition of intimacy somebody else will have a different definition of marriage uh -huh. and sometimes right. that creates a problem i mean sometimes in the people that i work with too we can't even get come to a common understanding of what does infidelity mean mm -hmm. you know sometimes people, uh -huh. people will say well it was virtual i was sexting it was online that's not infidelity well to me it is uh-huh well there's and something called emotional infidelity <laughs> yeah right Right. And that's what I like about uh -huh. the images. I think an image kind of gets rid of that that need for a definition. We can see interesting. It. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because because everybody can identify what's in the picture. It's a consistent message, right? That's interesting. Uh huh. I found uh, I I added I added two uh, unhealthy relationship experiences since the book has been written. Uh, I added dominance and intrusion. Uh, being exposed to intrusion can oftentimes be violation and people who are experiencing that early in life can sometimes have difficulty being close in a love relationship as a consequence, you know? Um, 
and uh, also dominance. Uh, sometimes people enter relationships uh, and re recreate uh, dominance, you know, where one's got to be in, in, in control of the other. Um, and it's a, I also, I mean, there's overlap with some of these control is also one, but dominance is a little bit different in the sense that you're, you're kind of creating a slanted relationship. You know, I'm in charge and I'm in charge of you, you know? And, and so I add that as one of the unhealthy relationship experiences that can be replicated. Unfortunately, men do that a lot because they're oftentimes exposed to these malignant forms of domination that can occur in a relationship, you know, and then they replicate the same thing over and over again. And there's a lot of fear under that, you know, if you're, you're you know, equality is one of those things that produces such wonderful results, consequences, but it's difficult if you manage to try to be in control in your love life for so long that, you know, like, okay, how do I share that? That is a good word, share that, you know, in sharing mutuality, again, we're back to intimacy. Right, right. Okay, so here is a question that I've got for you. A lot of people don't really understand what psychotherapy is about and how it is going to help them. Sometimes I will hear people say, I don't need to dissect my childhood. I don't need to, you know, sit there and talk about it. I was hoping you could speak to that for the people who don't really understand why it's helpful or why it's helpful to have somebody like you, a trained person to talk and to point things out to them. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, I think there's a lot of answers to that question. I'll, I'll offer a few. Um, one is that putting words to experience permits communication, permits understanding, permits experience to come out of unconsciousness into consciousness. Language is a wonderful, I'm going to use your word, tool. Language is a wonderful tool. When we learn how to talk about feelings, for example, when you were talking about men who have difficulty with feelings, what we're doing is we're mastering those emotions by being able to understand them. Um, and that produces mental health. That produces a healthier way of life. Now we're able to work with ourselves. We're not going to overreact or underreact to ourselves. We're going to work with our emotions, which are a very important part of our life. And we're able to describe them, not only to others, but to ourselves as well. So that's a very important part of therapy. Therapy is one way to describe the benefits of therapy is practice talking about the internal you. There's an internal you. There's an external you, yes, the, the you you show to the world. But there's also an internal you. And oftentimes the pain and suffering that people feel occurs on the internal side. So being able to describe the sadness you feel, the depressive moods you have, the anger and rage you might have, the fears that you encounter, and other people don't really know about this, or it's hard to talk about them. So therapy is an opportunity to practice putting language to experience so that you can develop these abilities. Um, 
Um, I am a big believer in the way I work with patients, people, that the past is not just history. It's places where we learned things. Mm-hmm. Learned, E-D. Um, so the past is particularly important because you've learned things that you don't know you've learned in the past that are perhaps are causing you trouble in the present and the future. So finding out what you've learned in the past is also can be a part of what therapy offers. Uh, remembering experiences that perhaps were traumatic or difficult or painful is an opportunity to not only decrease the intensity that those experiences can have on you in the present and the future, but also understanding what you've learned from those experiences that might not be healthy. Mm -hmm. So uh, that is the reason, not just to shuffle around in your past or to talk about childhood just for the sake of talking about childhood. In my way of thinking, I'm interested in what you've learned from experiences in your life going all the way as far back as you can that get replicated, recreated in your present and future that may interfere with the life you should have and the health you should have. And you know, what's important to say too, another thing that comes out of psychotherapy, at least the way I practice it, is I believe, and this is not an easy thing, I believe that we all have to realize that we can recreate what's unhealthy in our lives. Now, what that means is that I can recreate things that are unhealthy and not know I'm recreating them. So it's not like I'm being just consciously self-destructive. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about things that I've learned, habits that I've formed that are not healthy, but they're familiar. I would, they were learned in my family and I just make them, I recreate them over and over again without really thinking about it, without even knowing I'm doing it. I'm just doing it because it's familiar. That can be a problem. Mm -hmm. So that ability, that creative ability, that recreative ability that we all possess, when you realize you have that, it's a little bit humbling, mm -hmm. number one. Yeah. It's like realizing, wait a minute, doctor, are you saying I'm responsible for the crap that happens in my life? Um, I'm going yep. to say a very gentle and very sensitive <laughs> yes. I'm going yeah. to say yes. Now, the next question you should ask is how? And now we're going to learn how. And you know what happens when you learn how? You get control over your emotional life. You learn about your psychology, your individual psychology, your inner self. And as you become aware of that, you begin to master the life that you're having. You can shift it in one direction or another, make really informed choices. You can uh, plan things and uh, realize why you're doing things. Say no to yourself. Say yes to yourself. All these abilities grow as a consequence of becoming aware that you're responsible for the life you've created for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, thank you. That was very well said because you were talking about earlier, because I know this is first and foremost in so many people's minds is 
oh my gosh, the cheating happened and it was horrible. And I don't want that to happen again. And like you said, it's an, it stems from an intimacy issue. If you were working with a psychotherapist, if you were reading your book, if you're understanding my internal experience is one of whatever pain, sadness, my, my, my husband, when he cheated, his internal experience quite often would be Laura is too good for me right here. I'm feeling really bad about myself. She's going to leave me. I will be abandoned. Did he ever communicate? I'm feeling bad about myself. I'm afraid you're going to leave me. I'm feeling neglected. No, because he wasn't aware of that. When you work with a competent psychotherapist and you can start talking about that, and then you have that language for it, then you will be able to come to your spouse or your partner and say, I'm feeling bad about myself. I feel suddenly like you're going to leave me and I'm feeling really afraid of that. And then you can have that conversation and there won't be any quote unquote need to run away or need to cheat because you are getting your needs met and you are increasing intimacy instead of pulling further within yourself and creating that distancing. Right, right. Absolutely. And, you know, sometimes when people fear that another person's too good for them or it, it, it suggests the self-esteem issue a little bit there, you know, and, and that might be, uh, I don't know your husband, I've never spoken to him, but that might be an issue that needs to be put into words and brought out and looked at. There may be a history behind that, you know, uh, so that needs to be softened. It needs to be kind of shaved, you know, uh, yeah. so that it doesn't, it doesn't, it, it doesn't enter into the relationship into the marriage the way it can, as you're describing. Mm -hmm. Self-esteem issues can be quite troubling sometimes, you know. Um, they can create all kinds of interferences, you know. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I'm glad that you went there because that's exactly where he went with his therapist. He is a former foster child. He was raised in severe poverty. Of course, he's got some self-esteem issues. But how do you know it until you're talking to somebody and then somebody kind of points out and then you can go, oh, aha, uh -huh, I get it. And then right. you understand it and you can move forward instead of just brushing it under the rug or ignoring it. Yes. And you know, sometimes people, I want to add to that. Sometimes people, it's not, sometimes people get something out of a session, not because I point it out, they come to it on their own. You know, uh, uh, it's like I'm being used as a person to speak to. And sometimes people say, I can't believe I said that. <laughs> oh, what does that mean? <laughs> oh, boy, look at that. Like something popped out, popped out because now I'm in the process of trust. I'm in the process of, you know, privacy, trust, confidentiality. I can talk openly. And look at me. I'm talking about something. Boy, I started talking. I've had patients say to me at the end of a session, you know, I never realized that traumatic experience, how important that was. I'm not finished talking about that. I'm still hurt. I'm still angry, you know, and that, and people will go, wow. Like, and it's not me pointing something out. I'm just providing a context in that moment for the person to reveal to him or herself what's going on internally so people are very active they're not just passive oh the doctor's going to speak now what are they going to say you know it's uh 
it's also a process of, you know, managing one's own experiences and getting them out, putting words to them. So you can look at your psychology, you can look at your emotional life and start, you know, working on your emotional life, you know, like, okay, what needs to change here so that this thing functions better, right? healthier. Yeah, I appreciate that. Because in life, so often when we're just talking with friends or something like that, the response is don't talk about it. Don't share more. That was in the past. Yeah, yeah. You know, and you're right, working yeah. with someone who can hold that space to be like, no, tell me more. What is going on with that? And can help you manage that traumatic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sometimes friends tell us not to talk for various reasons. Like they're scared to hear what we have to say. They don't know what they're going to do with it once they hear it. Yeah. It might remind them of something they're dealing with and they don't want to deal with that. So don't right. talk. So I don't have to feel anything as a consequence of what you say. So there's you know, talking to a stranger can be a lot easier. <laughs> it can be. It can be. A stranger who you get to know over time. Yes. You know, so I, I work, the way I work is some of, many of my patients are long-term patients, patients I've known for quite a while, because I believe that what happens, and I see this often, is that people kind of, I, I like the growth model, you know, that people grow uh, once the crisis is put aside and people feel like, okay, I'm not in crisis now, what can I do? I can grow. I can learn. I can develop myself. You know, I, I see patients, sometimes patients walk in the door at the beginning, they're in crisis. They have symptoms they have to deal with. There's something going on, a divorce, a death, to deal with grief they have to confront. And then they get to the point where they realize, wow, it's so hard for me to grieve. I wonder why. Let me understand what I learned about grief that's in my way. And they might remember, boy, I can remember as a small child being, being told, don't cry, be a man, you know, pull yourself up by the bootstraps. So, you know, it's like, wait a minute, these messages are not healthy. And no. I need to make change in them so that, you know, I can handle loss in a healthier manner. Mm -hmm. I love it. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I feel like we could talk for another hour. <laughs> <laughs> where can listeners get a hold of your book? Yes, uh, my book's on Amazon.com. Uh, and if you put the whole title in, Learn to Love, Guide to Healing a Disappointing Love Life, it'll go right to the webpage. I also have a website, the thelovelifelearningcenter.com, and there's information about the book there. Also, I, my wife and I do love life consultations for people who are reading the book or dealing with love life issues where they want to enter an unlearning process that I described. We can offer a little guidance and help people get past some of the barriers to doing that. So that's Wonderful. it here. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. And I will put those in the show notes. So thank yeah, you. By phone too. We can work by phone for that cons those consultations anywhere, oh, wonderful. you know, so those, those are primarily on the phone. So it's a convenient way to, to do that. Yeah, it is. Well, thank you. That was Dr. Thomas Jordan. I will put all of his information in the show notes and listeners have an amazing week. And as usual, always remember to flaunt exactly who you are because who you are is always more than enough. Tune in next time to flaunt, find your sparkle and create a life you love. 
after infidelity or betrayal with radio host and live choreographer Laura Cheadle every Wednesday at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on syndicated Dream Vision 7 Radio Network. Develop naked self-worth and reclaim your confidence, enthusiasm, and joy so you can create a life you love and embrace who you are today. Download your free Sparkle Through Betrayal Recovery Guide at NakedSelfWorth.com. 